and welcome to the Daft Souls podcast, episode number 90. Nine zero. Two numbers combined as if at random. <laughs> so what are we doing this week? My uh, name's Matt. Your name's Quinns. Yes, it is indeed. Hello, everybody. And welcome to the Daft Souls podcast, where we talk about video games. No messing around. Yeah, we just messed around, haven't we? Yeah. I mean, lots of video games podcasts will have more messing around, as long as we have less than the average. Substantially less messing around than is usually acceptable. That is our tagline. So we've been playing, I've been playing a bunch of Horizon Zero Dawn, as of you. We'll yes. talk about that a bit. Yes. Uh, I've been playing some Zelda Breath of the Wild which is lovely. We'll talk about that. Mm. And uh, in addition to that, we've also gone back for this week for Don't Step on My Childhood. We have uh, Gunstar Heroes, an old game from my past and a bit of yours as well. So absolutely, we had a lot of fun playing that and you can watch that video on coolghost.net. And yeah, let's just jump in. What have you been there? Uh, what, what would we like to talk about first? Let's talk a bit about robot dinosaurs. It's robot dinosaur time. I don't see why they didn't just call Horizon Zero Dawn Robot dinosaur time. Yeah, I know. And actually, I got to the point in the plot where you realise why it's called Horizon Zero Dawn, but I'm still like, ah, it doesn't excuse the fact it's not called Robot Dinosaur Time. Okay, here's an experiment I'm going to throw out here. Yep. Um, is Horizon Zero Dawn a better name than any of the following? Dinosaur Zero Dawn. No. Horizon Dinosaur Dawn. No. Horizon Zero Dinosaur. Well, that might be misleading because I'm worried now that it has oh, no dinosaurs. Oh, no dinosaurs. Alternatively, we've got dinosaur colon, dinosaur, dinosaur. Anyway, the point is... it's The point is, thing. it should have the word dinosaur in the title. It's misleading advertising. I've written a complaint to my MP, to uh, <laughs> Your petition has seven signatures now, Absolutely. I'm on change.org. Search for why aren't games all called dinosaur, dinosaur, dinosaur. Yeah. And you should find it quite easily. <laughs> Hoping to break 15 signatures by the end of the day. Anyway. It's good, isn't it? It's quite good. It, okay, so we're going to have a little frisson here mm-hmm. because I think it is very good. Mm-hmm. And you're going to roll your eyes as soon as I say why. So just if people aren't aware, if they haven't been part of the marketing cycle, good on you. But this is a big open world game in the style of open world games. There yeah. are lots of side quests to do. You can run around, you get quests, they appear on your map. Um, the combat is pretty good. It's third person. It's mostly the reason you would play it, I think. Yes. Um, it's third person uh Tricky dinosaur hunting. A lot of the enemies are bigger than you. It's a little bit like Monster Hunter Light. It's kind of guerrilla warfare-y in the fact that I find that I, I like the, the combat. You always feel like you are up against it and against the odds. And certainly if you're trying to just go in guns blazing, it doesn't work very well. Yes. A lot- you quite quickly suits better to like kind of like... Uh, having a combination of stealth. It's a lot like Far Cry in that respect. Yes. Whereby um, Ubisoft's Far Cry 2, 2 and then more so. It's close to 3 and Far Cry 3 and 4. Yeah. Whereby you look at an area full of stuff, whether it's dinosaurs or a bandit encampment, uh, and then you tag them by looking at them through binoculars in the style of Metal Gear Solid. Like I, I can name check so many games now because this is the main thing I've realized before getting onto Horizon proper that I wanted to talk about with you today. Have you noticed that we have got into the point where AAA games now use so much shorthand that is shared? Yes. I was playing this, and at the same time you were playing Breath of the Wild, and I realized, oh my god, how many games have come out recently where you ride a horse, get off the horse, and then stealthily approach a target? Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of why I quite liked it and didn't love it, was because there was lots about Horizon that I thought was really exciting and really cool. But it's so bogged down with the trappings of of what AAA games are that um. So do you want to give some examples for that? Yeah, 
So, I mean, basically, it just feels like a beautiful chicken that's got like too much treacle in its wings and, and can't quite take off. <laughs> why are you inject? Like why are you injecting or rubbing your chicken with treacle? I'm not putting treacle on chickens. No, other people are. Like, and like I understand why. The so developers. So, I, like, there's lots of these elements I do understand. Like, a lot of it comes down to familiarity, and uh, that's a big thing with AAA games, right? Yeah, people kind of. It's not just about hand holding. It's about people buying a game that looks like a big glossy game and getting a big familiar glossy experience so you have like the ubisoft style systems you have uh you know like follow this thing and it will take you to your location you have uh, mini maps full of icons you have um you can increase the size of your bag by crafting a yeah. bigger bag and every time you walk past any bit of flora or fauna that you can pick up it will like be like hey pick me up and i get all of that um but i just find that actually um I don't know if it's overexposure to it, but I just feel that a lot of that stuff is not conducive to actually the experience of playing the game they've made. No. So here's the thing that I've been doing that is crazy, and I think you might roll your eyes at me because it's been a while since I talked about this particular thing. Matthew, what difficulty did you play Horizon Zero Her- Dinosaur, colon, Dinosaur, Dinosaur? Ah, at? oh, that's an interesting question. I'm actually just playing it on the normal difficulty. Yes, exactly. So I talked to my friend about this. I've heard a lot of people saying it's great on hard. Though. Yes, so I put it on hard and was having quite a lot of fun because it forces you to engage with all of the mechanics it has that are different. It forces you to do things like lay tripwires to identify the weaknesses of dinosaurs, to shoot off the right bits with a bow and arrow. Right. More importantly, you can't just... It, it no longer becomes a game where expanding your pouch is frivolous because the game is difficult. I actually cranked it up after playing it on hard for the first few hours to very hard, the hardest difficulty setting, where like just two hits kills you. And this is why I have such respect for Horizon Zero Dawn. We've talked before on this podcast about the fastest way to tell if a game is good is to crank it up to the highest difficulty sure. setting, see if it's bullshit. And to its credit, Horizon Zero Dawn, it's mostly not bullshit. Yeah. You can play it on the hardest difficulty setting, be clever, have quite good reflexes, and just play an incredibly tense game where one hit kills you. That's interesting. I mean, really, I've just found that, like, um, it took me a little while to click with the game yeah. and to get a sense that really, and the same, but the same same thing, I got to the same point of being like, you can't mess around here. You need to identify these things' weaknesses and you need to take them apart piece by piece in a very specific and careful order. But the difference is on easier difficulties, it's not that you die, it's just you feel like you're wasting your life. Yes. Like, it just takes so long to kill. Um, so you've got to, I'm and still if you kind can, of playing it as perfectly as I can. It's just that there's the, the risk is not of death. It's yeah, the but, risk is I'm wasting my life. It's that touch. It reminds me of when I was playing through Mass Effect and like so many people, I think, you know, when you're shooting through a corridor in Mass Effect, you know, you have a fight and you don't do very well. And then, I just put it on easy. Well, sure, exactly. This That's because that was, yeah. Because you want to glide through this stuff. But Horizon Zero Dawn becomes a very different proposition when in a fight, you know, you get hit and that knock, that might just kill you. I think like, I kind of fell in love with hard difficulty and it gives you a glimpse of the game they could have made. Well, this is the thing. And this is why like, um, there's a couple of things that kind of, uh, I struggle with a little bit. Um, partially, I think fighting humans in that game uh, is, oh, yeah, is well, very weak. That does not necessarily have to be in it. And no, it doesn't. And but then I, I'm I'm a story guy, right? And actually, I really liked the opening to that game. I love the story. I love what it was. Let's doing. talk a little bit about this then, because people might not play it or yeah. buy it. So it's like you know, you With are your lukewarm recommendation. You are, no, it's it's fun, right? It's fun. No, no, I, I agree. It's not that good, but I would. I'm enjoying it as. A, I think as it's a more like when it actually like shines. Um, when you are in a point where it's like, and really for me, it was when I got about. Uh, to the kind of canyon area where you start facing like bulls and pterodactyls, pterodactyls, bulls, crocodiles. Yeah, when I started facing like the big stuff, the stuff where it's like, okay, you need to know how to fight these things, or they're going to rinse you. Yeah, 
um, that's when I thought the game started to really shine. And I kind of just felt like, oh, I wish the game had the confidence to just leave behind a lot of the... Tr- it, f- it felt like a lot of mechanics and ideas had just been put in because it was an open world game. Yeah. And I felt like they added nothing and actually detracted from the experience. And when I felt like when it was as simple as being like, hey, you got to get down this road, but there's a giant bloody robot thing here. Yeah. Are you going to fight it? I'll tell you my favourite. I'll be positive about this. My favourite thing about this game by miles is those those robot crabs. Oh, I don't know if I found them yet. Oh, oh you mean the ones that carry stuff on their with back? With their boxes. Yeah. Because that, for me, right? So what? tell the people at home about your robot crab. The robot crabs, they're like, they basically have, they're like, they look like kind of little crustacean-y crab things. But instead of when you say shell little, on their back, they're, yeah, they're, <laughs> they're the size big. of Volkswagens. They're very big. But they're on their back where the shell is, is a box. Yeah. And it's, a, it's a, like a box of goodies. Um, and often it's like really good stuff. So what you can do is you can just kill these things and then you get the loot. But actually, if you kill them before you've taken the box off their back, you don't get that. But what you can do is there's like a clasp holding, a big metal clasp holding the loot onto the back of the crab. So what you can do is you can basically use special arrows that destroy parts of the creatures. Because the coolest thing about this game by far is the fact that you can have like damaging arrows that specifically damage parts of things so you could basically chip away at these yes. robots like binary yeah. domain until they and, but then the fun thing is that it, they then get completely different attack patterns yes the cute thing of like oh he has a flamethrower I'll shoot off the flamethrower <laughs> you, oh you're just going to run at me now <laughs> and it's okay. pure monster hunter as well of being like oh you cut off that bit and then they can't do flames they yes. can't do this because you've literally like cut that part of their body but in a less violent way because they're robots um, but yeah with these guys they've got this thing that's holding this this treasure thing on the back and what I love about this is that that's the one point where I think all of the elements of the game that work the best um, shine because what you've got is you've got the precision combat of being like hey if you land an arrow specifically there land a couple of arrows you'll knock this crate off its back but then you've got the stealth thing and I love that whenever you encounter these guys the encounter is not as simple as fight or flight it's not like avoid or fight it's always enticing I find to be like maybe I can sneak really close knock the thing off their back quickly rush over, take the things out of the box and then get back and hide in the bush before they notice. And I've done that a few times and it feels amazing. Well, that's when you're closest to like a real hunter living off exactly. the land, right? So let's talk a little bit about the uh, the aesthetics of it, the the profoundly like, I mean, I think it's set in America because there's turkeys running around. I yeah. haven't got that far in the story. I understand there's a lot more about like world building and how the world came to be later. But it feels like a deeply Native American uh, situation where sort of you get, well, I want to say Iron Age, but also there's a mix of sort of civilization levels. People living off the land, and and you all of the weapons and stuff you craft are bits that come from robots. You have to get bits off of robots, and I think that's when it's really interesting, when you don't even necessarily have to kill them, or like, it introduces you very early on to the concept of there's a uh, herbivores, essentially, that are surrounded by protective velociraptors, and you, you can distract a certain kind of animal, and you like scaring off a whole herd because you got the animal you wanted and you don't care if you get seen by the stealth mechanics. Yep. yep. Lots of this good stuff. Or even just um the the rope caster, I think, is really cool. The thing that lets you oh, fantastic. attach yeah. monsters to the ground, which I had a great moment of uh, when you first encounter the giant awful birds and they fly over yep. you firing fire at you. And it's awful until you first see one on the ground and you're like, what happens if and you just tie it to the, ground. to the ground yeah and then you'd like you tie its foot or its wing to the ground and the animations are really well done actually yep. for like tying different parts of monsters and it struggles and it can't fly and that is such a wonderful problem solving and like an organic approach to encountering monsters yeah monsters. no i mean that's the thing is like when when you are fighting the enemies 
when you are like in there using but no, this tool it's, set. it's almost when you're not fighting them, when you're just trying to get something out of them, you know? Yeah, but that's that's what I would have liked to see more of, yeah. really, is is the fact that it, it's all very binary. It feels like whenever you're traveling around the world and you encounter um, these things, it's very rare that you're actually hunted by anything. It's usually just that you can choose to avoid something or not. Yes. Um, unless it's the story and you have to fight something. But it means that you make a choice. You're like, do I want to fight this? Do I not want to fight this? And usually if you want to fight something, it means you want to fight it for the purposes of killing it, right? Which yeah. is fine. But it's kind of more interesting when you have scenarios where like with, and that's why I would have loved to see more like that way with the crab things where you can think, actually, I just want to get in, like knock this component off or whatever, <laughs> yeah. and then get out. I mean, that's the thing. It's like either you are in stealth mode or you are not in most games and in this one. And it's either you are fighting to kill them or you are running away. But what you're describing is something that exists between either of those states. It's like, are you trying to, are you hiding or are you showing yourself to scare them off? Are you, is there one thing you want to kill? That's when it starts getting interesting. When what you want out of the combat and how you are interacting with the monsters is more complicated than the binary of kill or not, stealth think, or not. I think that comes specifically in this game uh, because of the stealth, because it's the stealth system being cool and the fact that you can go in and out of it. You basically want to attack from stealth, but then if you get into trouble, which even on normal difficulty, I frequently do. I then just want to think, right, is it time now to just get out of sight, hide in some long grass and just wait for them to lose me again for a minute so I can then set up another attack? Yeah. And the fact that you can constantly slip in and out of stealth and use this kind of guerrilla tactics on these things and it's the only way to get an advantage, um, I just think it. W- I really like the moments where you're actually forced to make an interesting choice of being like, okay, you're not fighting anymore. Do you want to carry on? Because it was like, you know, we, we talked about this on the last Shut Up and Sit Down podcast that I was on about the, the loss aversion and about how people, in theory, that should be a choice at any point. You're halfway through a fight, but maybe you want to just leave. Yes. But people will never choose that because you feel like you've invested time to the fight, you've invested resources, <laughs> so you're always going to continue the fight. And what I loved about fighting those crab things is it's like, I was ideally just going to kill them and get all of the goodies and get all of the loot. But sometimes you think, maybe I leave now. Like, I've got some stuff. Maybe I just leave. You know what game did that really well was um, uh, Stalker. Well, actually, so two games, one of which you've been playing is um, Shadows Over of Mordor? Shadows of Shadow Mordor, yeah. Yeah. Um, over or of? Shadows Over Mordor. Shadows Over I Video still Games. remember her name. <laughs> no, that? it's called uh, Shadows of Mordor. Shadows. I don't know why I know that. Never specifically sing that, that song I'm, I invented it. I never will. Okay. No one will. Good. Uh, so no, Shadows of Mordor and actually the original like Stalker something Chernobyl. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell was that? Stalker, Shadow of Chernobyl. I think. It's not. I think that's what it's called, yeah. Okay, well, whatever it is. Um, but both of those games have the dynamic roving packs of enemies and that, and also, well, no. Well, Chernobyl specifically had, um, you wanted to collect loot from enemies. Mm-hmm. And so very often in Chernobyl, it would be like, you'd engage a firefight with a few guys in the distance and they don't have very good guns and you think you're okay. And then you hear the crackle of rifles to the east and you're like, oh no, there's more people here. This is way dangerous. Now my objective has changed to running away. Yeah. It's that fun pivoting that you get in Shadows of Mordor of like, I will attack. This is probably fun. This isn't fine. I'm running yep. away. Yep. But it's the way that your priorities can suddenly shift and, yeah. in a really organic, fun way. Yeah, totally. And and that's like... um. And this is the thing. I don't want to sound down on Horizon. It's like, in many ways, it's a real achievement. Um, it's very beautiful. It's quite interesting. It's fun. Yeah. I think it's more that, to me, it's a very good example of what happens in game dev when you have a development project that is broad. You know, in terms of, I mean, like, in terms of how how the team works. So instead of having, like, um, not that many people working on something for a long time, you have a lot of people working on something for a shorter amount of time. Okay. And, and you- it means... 
that you have these designs that have to be more reliable and everyone goes off and makes these different so things. So you interpret right? it as, uh, uh, what is it? Is it Renegade or Rebellion Studios? Um, I actually can't remember this okay. case. Well, the, uh, but you think it was a case of the people coming forward and going, we want a game that ticks all these boxes. Well, you, you know how to do a loot system, do it? Sort not as much, but to a degree, yes. I mean, basically, it's it's not so much of being like, but when you have a lot of people working on something, it's it's more difficult to be cohesive and pin things down. Sure. Right? And I just feel like there are some things. It's difficult to follow through with a coherent vision because then you need vision holders and communication and stuff. Yeah, it becomes harder. And I just felt like there were some really cool ideas in Horizon, but yes, I felt but they, like they weren't explored as much as they. Yeah, I felt like a they weren't explored as much as they should be, and b a lot of the other systems in the game just weren't working with it. It was like it's a game that needed somebody to go, guys, this is it, and just be confident enough about the core of what they've made to sweep away a lot of the guff around the edges. And then re- and then explore and examine the systems they've made that are really this, good. I mean, there's such a simple, interesting thing in that game that, that threw me off at first. I was playing the game wrong for a while. Uh-huh. I was just trying to beat the enemies with shooting at stuff. Um, and I was hitting a bit of a brick wall with... I was fine for a while, but then I started to find some of these fights hard and I didn't understand why. And it wasn't until I started actually going and looking more at my weapons and, and looking at buying other weapons. Because what I'd done... Um, is I just gone and bought a really expensive good bow, right? And then I was like trying to use that for everything, and and I was wrong because rather I'd, than using the sling and the trip cast, yeah, and I, even I hadn't bought the like the rope gun that ties things down, yeah, yeah. Because and this this is why it's because they'd chosen to present the weapons in the game using the the traditional color coding of green, blue, purple, right? Oh, you mean rare, uncommon. Exactly, rare, yeah. and so this is an open. This is, it, the, the game presents itself as being an open world shooty RPG, like like a Ubisoft game. Oh, or, but you assumed that those other alternate weapons were just worse than the. Yeah, yes, there's some weird, exactly. There's some weird communication in it. I didn't realize that. I thought it was quite interesting that I could only ever have two uh, sets of armor, and I was like, oh well, so I really have to pick my armor carefully, and I'll swap. And then it's like, no, I just hadn't upgraded my armor bag. Exactly, and this is the thing: is there's there's all sorts of weird systems that aren't communicated, or in this case just use standard systems. Like they've just gone, well, we'll make it green, blue, purple. Everyone understands that. Everyone does understand that, yes, but they well, understand it in a way that does not actually gel with what you've made. Quote unquote gamers understand that. It's 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 an unfortunate like bit of shorthand to have calcify in the, uh, exactly. in the gaming consciousness. And that's the thing. But as it was, these weapons, admittedly, the purple weapons are good, but they're good because they give you more versatility. They're not just... They're, they're not actually any better. Yeah, they don't it. actually do any more damage. Yeah. Like... And some weapons, you can have a green weapon that you'd think would be junk, but it's still going to be the weapon you use. Yeah, and it's this versatility that the game kind of lets you explore. I mean, I, I appreciate that the game lets you explore and figure out some of these mistakes of your own. Like, yeah. it, even just the fun stuff of like, okay, you encounter the scrappers and you they have radars on their backs. So they will ping the surroundings unless you shoot the radar off. And then you encounter sawtooths who you who are weak to fire, but unbelievably dangerous giant lions. Yeah. And you fight them individually and that's fine. But then it's like when the first time you come across a group with both of them and you go... Oh, okay. So, do I start the fight by disabling the radar, or do I start the fight by disabling the lion? And and then can I do that stealthily with either of them? And yeah, you end up combining the systems and squishing them together in a really fun web of priorities, which yeah. really comes out on high difficulties because you can't get that shit wrong. You're not wasting your time. You have to yeah. get it right. Suddenly, you're thinking about these cool systems you put in place. I think it's cool, but I desperately want to compare it to the other game you've been playing, which is Breath of the Wild. Well, this is the thing, right? This is the interesting thing. I played Horizon. I liked it. Um, but I found there was one thing about it that was just really grating me. And I sat down to write a big thing about being like, this is why open world games really have to change. 
and and then I played Breath of the World Wild. Breath of, <laughs> Breath of the World. And it was basically kind of what I'd it was I'd just written this screed about what I'd <laughs> like. Of wild does. And it was like, oh, this is it. So if people missed this, uh you know, let's take it from the top. Nintendo have a new game console out called the Switch. They do, yeah. Matthew owns one. I wasn't going to buy one for a while. I was going to be sensible. Um, I'm usually really sensible with this stuff. But um, I just really wanted one. And you know what? I don't regret it. I'm a big fan of handhelds. I'm a big fan of uh, Nintendo handhelds when they, wait, when wait, they hit wait. the point. Matthew, I'm confused. Is the Switch a handheld or a home, well, Quentin, a home console? Uh, it's kind of... What I find, actually, I like most the about The answer it. is, we still don't know. I like that it's... It's not for me the duality. It's the just general versatility that I like. I like that basically you can plug it into the dock and then it plays on your telly. Um, but then you can obviously carry it around like a handheld and well, play it. This like is a big kind of that thing where PS Vita. And I appreciate that we are wading into the territory that's been well trodden by thing pieces. But this is what people thought when the iPad first came out. It's like, I've got a PC and a phone. Why do I need yeah. an iPad? Then you buy an iPad and you never put it down. Yeah, no, and I mean, I've really been enjoying the fact that I can play it a bit in bed, I can play it on the TV. Have you um, played it on the toilet yet? I haven't yet, but I'm sure I will. Um, but even That's the like fact the that, first thing I do. Even the fact sometimes it's like because you can just detach the screen and have a mini screen and the controller. Sometimes I'm just like, oh, I'm kind of bored of having this on my lap. So I'll just like lean. <laughs> so I'll, no, I'm kind of bored of holding it up. So yeah. you can just have like the screen on your lap whilst you have the controllers like lifelessly in your arms laying down. It's like super lazy mode. You know what's nice is that like games have become more ergonomic the older we get. So it's like as we deteriorate. Like we can no longer sit cross legged because <laughs> controller cables are like three feet long. Yeah. So we, we can't sit cross legged on the floor anymore. We're old men, but then they came along wireless controllers. Now we can't sit in the same chair for two hours because our spines will break. Exactly, exactly. But we've got a switch. I, I like it a lot. And I mean as much as I like the whole cross-play stuff of having saved files that will automatically update across. There is something beautifully neat about just having something you can just pick up, start playing straight away. But yeah, Zelda... That's the kind of guy you are. Just a breezy, feel-good... You know, as an adult, it's <laughs> it's so important to just have something that you can just play. Like, I mean, I know that yes. sounds insane. I, we, I think we have multiple podcasts on the topic. But like, I was, I was recording some footage from uh, Dark Souls 3 this morning for a video I'm working on, and... I was like, oh, it's cool. I'll just capture some Dark Souls 3. Ah, yeah, I uninstalled it for my PS4 to make room for something else. Okay, well, I'll install it, put the disc in. Oh, the disc is dirty or damaged. Right, okay. Then it's like I had to go and clean the disc and then several times before it worked and then it installed it. And it's just like, I don't know. I do this professionally and when you just want to think, oh, I just want to play that now. Yeah. I'm having something that you can pick up. And even like last night, I was going to play some Zelda in here and then I just started it and then I'm like, oh, actually, my wife's watching TV in there. I'll, I'll just take it, it with is me kind and just of do the that. Antithesis, because I was going to buy a, a PSVR, and uh, I have not because of how antisocial it would be with my wife. Yeah, so it's kind of the opposite. Like if I buy a PSVR, I am in my own uh, zombie Resident Evil filled world, probably. Uh, whereas you can go and lie next to your lady wife. I think that's say, it. Look at my Zelda. When you mention the iPad, I think that is key. I think there's a real difference, and lots of people love playing games on iPads because you can just sit next to the partner, partner while they're watching TV or something, and you I mean, can just on your iPad. Can, that's fine. necessarily. No, but I think there are, there's a difference. I think if you set up yeah, a- it's still fe- I, I'm being facetious, but also no, it does. It does. Sometimes I will, even if I don't care what game Lee is playing, I will want her to be playing a game in the same room as me because then she's in the same room as me. Yeah, exactly. But there's weird walls about what's acceptable not to. Like sitting on a sitting on your iPad playing a game is 
somehow less antisocial than sitting on your 3DS. If I'm on the toilet, Lee's like, I don't want to come in there. I don't get it, but that's just up to her. <laughs> if I'm playing a Switch on the toilet, she's all about it. She'll come into the toilet. It's anyway, fine. let me give you my turbo pitch about what I was frustrated with me about um, about open world games in general and what Breath of the Wild does to fix this. I, I think that you and I are possibly arriving to this at the same point because it's like, I, I, sorry, did I say this to you on the podcast or off it? How many games have horses? Yeah, you're obsessed with horses. Yeah, you no, said this seriously. On the okay, right. You're I'm, obsessed with horses. I'm dying now. You're dying. <laughs> I'm dying. I'm repeating myself. Matt, just listen to What's me. What's your talk problem about with horses? horses? Just, just explain. No, to okay, me. okay. So here's the thing. It's like, um, it's not. Horses. It's not about horses. It's about why the horses are present, right? So what we've got is the the lang. I literally can't remember how much of I said how much of this I said on the podcast. We've talked. No, about. all you mentioned that too many games have horses. You're like you're doing the airline food thing. What's the deal with that? Horses. <laughs> okay, no. What it is is that we have currently, with games being so expensive, reached a point where we can create a really functional, big, exciting open world. Uh-huh. Right? Since you know Skyrim and Red Dead Redemption first cracked it, it's like oh, you have a sort of world with a lot of I guess third party stuff. We can all make trees. Trees are relatively easy. Grass, mountains. This is all comparatively Yo, easy. Stephen, make a tree. But Everybody, com- trees now. But compared to how hard it is to make an alien world yeah, you know, which has to go through art design and all this stuff mm-hmm. so it's just cheaper and simpler if you're going to do an open world to make it look kind of like our world and then if you're going to yep. do that then horses work I, honestly if someone in the cool ghost community wants to make a list of AAA games where you get a horse in the last seven eight years compared to like all of gaming history we've gone horse mad and I won't <laughs> stand for it I think I know why though well I don't know it that what I'm saying is there's a lot of language which is being carried over from game to game, and it blows my mind that even Nintendo are doing this now with well, Zelda. to be fair, they had a horse. They've had a horse for a long time. If we call that the <laughs> horse zero, right? If we call Epona, <laughs> pony zero, yeah. and then... Right. You can't be like, Nintendo jumping on this horse bandwagon. <laughs> but you, but I, I don't know. Do you get what I'm saying? Am I, I mad? Do. No, you're not. And that's, that's the interesting thing is it's all about, to me, it's all about the challenges that open world producers for game designers how they get around them right and this is my frustration with open world games okay. horses were a really cool fix I think because horses have autonomy yeah so it means that you can have a vehicle which will not go anywhere you want if you have a motorbike you can't have a motorbike that says actually no I'm not going off this cliff <laughs> like, you know what I mean like, it doesn't make any sense Yeah. Okay. Uh, but if you've got a horse it means you can still restrict players and be like this is a vehicle that you can't take here because it's an invisible wall with legs it will just go no I'm not going there <laughs> and you can accept that because is a horse. Yeah. Uh, whereas any other vehicle, anything that's not sentient, doesn't work. <laughs> so I get it. But it's interesting that basically these restrictions and the way people get around these restrictions in the same ways again and again yeah, that's is my, the problem. That, that is my point. Yeah. It is the fact that designers have realised, oh, this works. We will all do this. Exactly. But and it results- that's why I've I found myself slightly bored, even though I was like look, playing in Horizon. Horizon and being like, this is great. This is cool. For the record, Horizon is a game where you get a horse. Yeah, no, it does. It robot horses. Yes. And you, you get new ones all the time. Yeah. Switch them out. Do what you want. That, um, was, that was the most Steve Brule thing. <laughs> switch them out. Do what you, you want. Just switch them out, your horse, when you... It's your house. Do what you want. Um, but, the, and some of the problems that... All right, this, I'm just going to roll you through this really quickly, right? Yes. The problem is, this is my thing, is in open world games, where does the game reside, right? And especially in a game like Horizon, right? You want that game to reside on the main part of the screen where you are looking at these vistas, looking at these hills, looking at this beautiful landscape that they've poured so much money into, right? Yeah. But, right, you also have to contend, contend with the fact that players have to navigate your world. Yes. How do they do that? Well, in Horizon, they get around the big problem. And I think the big problem in open world games is 
Finding your way around. Finding a way around. But also, you've got to have your cool vistas, right? You've got to tick that box, right? But what do cool vistas mean? Hills, right? How do you deal with hills? <laughs> How do you deal with hills? Because hills, right? The problem is, you look at a map and you go, I've got to get here to here. How do you stop players then doing the classic video game thing of spending hours jumping over mountains just because it's the quickest route, just because you want to go as the crow flies? Because I do that all the time. And there's two ways you can do that, right? You can either make it really steep things, and that's why I love canyon style bits. I love the canyon bit in Horizon because it's like really physically obvious walls. You're just like, I can't get up that. That's, yeah. that's like vertical and not like a hill that might be too steep, but maybe it's not. <laughs> the interesting thing is Horizon tries to get around this by having waypointing that is tells you where it's to go. It's quite aggressive via, waypointing. But yeah. you can switch it off, but it tells you how to go via roads. It just tries to, it's just like, basically the weird thing about open world design is it's just like, you can go anywhere, you can do what you want, but then the devs are going, oh, don't, don't go there. Don't do that. There's nothing up this fucking hill. What's wrong with you? Yeah. So either you put stuff on top of the fucking hills so people will do it but then not feel like they're wasting their time or you discourage them from doing it with invisible walls or as Horizon tries to admirably, just tries to guide you and be like, hey, why don't you just stick to this road? Like, Yeah, because there's nothing over the wall. Exactly. It makes sense. The other solution is what you know you get um, in Breath of the Wild is be like, hey, you can go anywhere. You can like you can go over those mountains, but it has very strict, simple systems for that. You climb. You have a little stamina ring that when you climb, you can't climb for that long. And you can level it up so you can climb more. You can do things so you can climb more. But generally speaking, you can look at a wall and go, can I climb that now? Can I get up that hill? Well, this is why uh, it Im- what it immediately struck me uh, when I was watching you play Breath of the Wild earlier, because um, it always looked a bit empty to me in trailers. But as soon as I saw you playing it and heard how little music there is and saw how yeah. many weird small details like insects and fish that you might collect. And I immediately realized that, oh, it's not Skyrim. It's f- trying far more to do or uh, provoke Minecraft's atmosphere. Yeah. Well, in, in a way, it's like Skyrim was already trying to be a bit more cinematic. I, I, I've seen people say it reminds them of Morrowind, and I think that's there's probably something to be said for that. Uh, but just being like this similar style thing of just having this big sandbox of things and and things to explore and things to learn about, but with less of a kind of like gravitas behind things, just more of a kind of like oh, chilled right, vibe. Yeah. Uh, Morrowind being uh, the Elder Scrolls game before 4, if people yes. are young and haven't The old it. school one that everyone always bang the on about. The old weird game. It, is, it was weird. But the point is that, yeah, you arrived as a nobody and everyone thought you were a shithead. So the adventure that you made was very much like of your own doing, yeah. which was cute. You could you could make money and stuff, but it was never like, you're the hero, you have the power to say fuss and men fall over. Yeah, and it had less of a thing of like, whenever you walked into a town, somebody running over to you and being like, oh, oh there's a dragon, Lord. this yeah, yeah. dragon. It was much more muted. It was like, you just turned up and nobody, it was just- Or, someone, or someone tried to mug you, which was like routinely the funniest thing. That was a world that hated you, um, which was kind of a delight to then ultimately end up mastering. Um, so you're saying, you're telling me that um, Breath of the Wild is- uh, more like you're just pottering around a world that doesn't care about you? <sighs> to a degree, yeah. That, that seems antithetical to all Zelda games. Well, that's the funny thing. It's it's basically just really and it's it's just not a Zelda game in many ways, which is great. It's um That's good. Because honestly, I didn't I don't want to necessarily play another Zelda no, game. No, I've played like loads of them. Like yeah. so many. I, I I like the formula, but to be honest, playing this, it is a breath of fresh air. Ooh. Um just in the fact that it's basically a, a wonderful, open, systematic, really heavy systems world. So it's like you just discover things all the time. 
And this is why I'm just trying to have a social media blackout even now. I just mute. Yeah, if people could stop posting shots of Breath of the Wild, that it's would be really absolutely great. Absolutely unbelievably irresponsible. People can't even buy it. It's not even like, why don't you buy it? It's like people can't. It's not available. Yeah. So yeah, but just tiny things that you, I'm constantly discovering. Like sometimes by accident, you'd be like, hey, that just happened. What was that about? And then you'd be like, and you go away and you actually do a little experiment on your own. You're like, what happens if I try and recreate the conditions when that happened? And you go, it happened again. That's cool. And then basically you collect loads of items for monsters you kill and stuff you find. And sometimes it's obvious what you use things for. It's like, this is for a recipe, this is for that. But sometimes you're like, what's this for? And then you experiment with it and then you work it out. Well, that's the absolute, uh, in some ways, um, as much as we're talking about similarities, that's the opposite of Horizon Zero Dawn's design ethos, right? Where yes. Horizon is saying, we will give you all the things you recognize. It's like, you you know from the moment you pick up the first collectible object, it's like, oh, I use this for crafting. And then if you hover the cursor over it in the inventory, there's 50 words of text that tell you what kind of crafting you can use it for. There's a sub menu that tells you, it's like the don't starve Fallout school of crafting. Of yeah. just, you are like, I don't even know. There's no comparison in literature. MacGyver isn't even true anymore because MacGyver didn't do boring shit like make his own bullets. Yeah, it's true. Um, I, I'm sure he did. Made himself a bigger bag. Yeah, Jesus Christ. How's it going, MacGyver? Pretty good. I just made a bigger bag. Why did you do that, MacGyver? I had these raccoons. MacGyver, have you made... Oh my God, there's eyeballs in this bag. Why do you have them? Don't want to waste a good bit of the raccoon. Oh. Throwing money in the bin, son. MacGyver, you need to take your medication. Yeah. God, good old MacGyver. Do you remember that episode of MacGyver where oh, MacGyver... That's the best one. Uh, murdered 600 raccoons. Murdered 600 raccoons and made a backpack and then put all the other raccoon skins in the backpack. To make then, the backpack increasingly bigger. Yes. And then he filled. It's that. almost like... It's terrible. Like, uh, a, like an Escher thing of like, you're carrying a bag which contains smaller bags, with which can t- it in turn contain the materials required to make bigger bags. Yeah, it's, 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 let's be blunt, nonsensical. Having said that, like Breath of the Wild still has, um, uh, the annoying thing about it, which everyone's already talked about, is you have limitations on equipment you can hold, like, and your swords and shields and bows, you never really keep them, you pick them up, and then they break after use. Um, and they break more quickly. Yeah, why are people talking about this? Like, this is it a big is, thing. It is kind of annoying. But they um, clearly chose to do it for a reason. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, and I'm wondering if the more I play it, I'll work that out. At the moment, I can't quite see it, other than the idea of, um, A, uh, not getting too attached to any of your equipment, because that's less of a point in this, and it's more about explore. I think they... I get the impression they want you to mess with the systems more. They've put in tons of interesting physics stuff, tons of ideas, and they want you to actually rely less on combat and more on doing weird cool things but I, as i say i'm haven't got a strong opinion on that yet because i'm not far away enough but what i love about it what i adore is i find myself when i'm playing open world games like horizon in this situation where i don't want all this ui stuff i don't want all this stuff cluttering on my screen so i switch it all off right i'm just like i don't want it i want to just be in this world right yeah but then I don't really know what I'm doing. So I have to like look at the map. And then as soon as I look at the map, I'm like, oh, but there's all these things I could do nearby. Let's do some of that. And oh, how far away am I from that side quest? Maybe I'll do that. And then suddenly what happens to it me- It turns the game from an uh, adventure into a shopping list. Yeah. Or like it turns the game into like just sc- scrubbing through this land rather than going off an adventure. I just like, I feel like I'm just uh, rinsing it for stuff and I'm getting distracted for the wrong reasons. I'm getting distracted because I want to go and get that treasure or that resource or that thing. Whereas what I love about Zelda is the map stuff is super light, and often actually when you are using the map, you're using it to put your own marks on the map. It will hardly mark anything on the map, and it means you think, oh, there's something cool here, but I don't know what it is. 
get the map out, put a little stamp on it, means like, come and look at this later maybe. There's something here, but I don't know what it is. Mm. The world is just scattered with lots of tiny puzzles that are just like, they are repeated. Sometimes you're like, oh, it's one of these again. I know what to do. Like there's a, a thing and I have to find a thing and put it in. Oh, there's the thing. Okay, done. Um, but it's full of tiny little details, but you just strike off and you're like, the wonderful thing about it as well is you actually, as you create your own map, a lot of it is um, about finding out where stuff is. So hills are not just something that you go over because it's a shortcut. It's like you get to a new area and you're like, where should I go? No idea. Let's just try and climb up the biggest hill I currently can so I can look around. And then you've got like a telescope that you can then look around and you can mark things on by pressing a button and it will put a marker on the map, but where it is. And then you can basically then be like, well, I'm going to go for that now. Or you can be like, I'll go there later. You know, I'm reminded of uh, a couple of exploration games, which have because when you were showing me this map system earlier in Breath of the Wild, um, I was trying to think of other games that have really nailed exploration. And it's funny how it's often not the games with the big expansive worlds, like the the GTAs and the Horizon Zero Dawns, like have roads. It would, they, have, they want to keep you to roads. It's exactly what you were saying. And I feel like the games that have really succeeded in terms of going off the map being a scary thing, I'm thinking about Subnautica, and mm-hmm. I'm thinking about The Long Dark, which sort of Subnautica, but for cold Canada as opposed to being under an alien sea. But both of those games captured a feeling that I would love to feel more where when you go off map, when you go into areas you don't recognize, every step or swim, every swim you take in Subnautica feels dangerous. Like you're Mm. getting further away from what you recognize. And my God, if that isn't the most exciting feeling in open world games, that's also in Minecraft as well, where exploration, every step feels you're getting, uh, you're taking a gamble take a hundred steps then you've made a big gamble into where am i now is what i'm saying making sense yeah no absolutely and then breath of the wild feels like that a lot of time sometimes you you go into an area and immediately the monsters are really dangerous and can kill you in one hit and you're like okay um but you can try and avoid them you can stealth and you can be like i'm just going to try and push ahead and you can kind of you can dip your foot into areas that you're clearly not supposed to be in uh, just to find some secret stuff, get some really, I found a diamond, it's worth loads of money. Like, <laughs> now I can take that back to like where I am figuratively in the, the the arc of the game and buy loads of cool stuff with that. Like, it's it's awesome. You know what's funny is we've spent, we, we began this podcast talking about how similar all these games are, but actually what we're also discovering is that yes, they are very similar, but also these two games we're playing represent completely different uh, philosophies. One of which, Horizon Zero Dawn, having very clear aggressive gating from one area to another, and another game being about exploration and having, it sounds like, no gating or, or level-based gating that means that you can go into these areas. I would love for Horizon Zero Dawn to let me wander off into an and this area is the with thing. huge it's, dinosaurs. It's, it's just about the fact, and I really hope that um, more of the kind of AAA game space starts to feel this, because I've got heavy fatigue now. I know lots of people go, oh, well, don't play these games, whatever. But I feel like this fatigue will cotton on. There are people out there who just play a couple of games every year and they're not as into it, but we've just hit it early. Like people are going to, if you keep using the same systems with stuff all the time, people are going to get You're bored. talking about the MMO grocery list school of game design. Exactly. And I mean, like even though uh, Horizon is excellent at what it does, it still brings just, it's interesting that there's lots of the it's, best. It's more like it's excellent in spite of what it exactly. is. Exactly. And that's the thing is lots of the things I loved about Horizon and wanted to applaud were the moments where the game had, it was, it's when it, it circumvented yes. its own problems rather than just being also, like, I, I don't know about problems, but in the circ- because those, those, uh, those problems, quote unquote, are the same things that made you love Fantasy Star like when you were a teenager. No, yeah. They're yeah. not problems initially. They become problems when you become tired of them. Everyone loves their first MMO. I'm sure everyone listening to this played an MMO and lost like a month to it. Yeah, absolutely. Whether it was World of Warcraft or Guild Wars or Final Fantasy 4 or 
14. Out of 44? 12? <laughs> I um, but uh, I really... I no, yeah. I, th- I think it's there. just about shifting it up. And I think what I love about... And I, I'm taking Zelda so slowly. And I'm just trying to like not read anything about it. And what's interesting to me is I've got to the first point where it's like, hey, here's four locations in the world. There's four things to do, and they're both like really far away from me. All really four things, and they are both. They're all. They're all of them are really okay. far away from each other. Okay, they're all in different areas of the world, and it doesn't say, "Hey, go to this one first. You, I mean, you could just go to the, cl- the closest one first, but it doesn't give you any sense of like order. Just which ones to do is the easiest one to do first. It's just like, hey, there's four things, and that's like the main drive <laughs> of the game. But I'm not even doing that. I'm just like exploring, and I'm like you saw earlier when I was like I I did a hang glide onto a hill and I stepped up and I'm like, oh, it's a bit cold. It's too cold. I just spent loads of money on a slightly warmer coat, which means I can go to cold places and be okay. But that place is slightly too cold. And what I've got now is I've got two choices. I can either be like, well, this bit's not for me yet. It's too cold. Or I can go and do some cooking to make some recipes that will boost my, and and stock up on loads of like cold resistant stuff so I can go to this cold mountain. I don't know what's on that mountain. Like, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. And what? But I can, and I more than anything now, even though there's no marker, there's nothing telling me to go up there. I want to go on an adventure but on that mountain. What lesson did Minecraft teach us? It should have taught the entire games industry that you don't need to put something on a mountain because if a player chooses to climb the mountain rather than being told to do it, they don't need a reward. Yeah. If you put a mountain in the map, the player's going to climb it. They don't. If, if you, do you remember at Shadow of the Colossus uh, when? Do you remember the shrines that periodically showed up that I think let you save your game? Yeah. Uh, they they were very tall structures mm-hmm. and you could climb them. They were like minute, small, small but not serious climbing challenges. And you go up the spire and it was like, I don't know, 60 feet off the ground. And if you climb up there, all that happened was that the camera pulled back. Like yeah. it pulled back about... Gave you a nice view. Yeah, pulled back all the way behind your characters and just began circling you. And that was your reward because it's like, oh, you want to climb this thing for no reason? Okay, we'll give you a thing for no reason. But it wasn't like you've climbed one of 40 shrines. But it doesn't have to be. If, yeah. you, if, you, if it's the player's choice to do something, the reward doesn't have to be tangible. It can that, be similarly intangible. That's the other, the other really enticing thing for me is because you're not because you don't have this mini map that's constantly getting cluttered with things that you can do. There's no sense of trying to complete it. There's no sense of trying to do everything. You just go off, you collect things, and you you do your own thing. You live your life, man. Like I have bits on the map that I've marked that I want to go to, and the game will be done for me once I've been to all of those. Eventually, <laughs> like that's that's the point, you know. And it, it's not like 100%, but it's the same thing of like, yes, you climb a mountain for no reason, but there's as much cool stuff up on the mountains as there is on the ground and there's secrets everywhere. And it's weird. Like I was playing it and it's totally not the experience I expected to get from this game at all. But I was in a point yesterday where I was just walking along the top of these really green, verdant, grassy hills and I climbed up these hills and I was just kept climbing higher and higher and I was just looking out down and there was clearly loads of interesting stuff down below me, some ruins or something that was in a distance and but I was just on top of these hills and there was a boar running around and I was just like, I was so relaxed. <laughs> well, this is the crazy thing, the way that there's no music as well, or very little music. And then it comes in with some twingly piano and gentle. But I had this point that because, right, and this is so vital, because I hadn't been every five seconds, every two seconds pressing start to look at the map, to check my bearings, to check I'm going the right way, to check what's nearby. It- I'd existed in this for the whole of this journey up this hill and I had this moment where I turned around and saw the sun setting and I looked down and I saw miles away um, the place I'd been about half an hour ago. I was like, that's the 
the stable, the horse stables. I was down there. I've come so far. And the part of my brain, the way I reacted to that was exactly the same as when I was climbing mountains um, last IRL, summer in, yeah. in real life and turned around and looked down at this view and went, oh my God, that's the mountain we were on earlier. We walked all this way. And yeah, I mean, I, and I really think that the key to that is what I said earlier about where does the game reside? You need to keep the game residing in the world. You know, it's funny. you got to... We- <laughs> I guess it just amuses me to think that it's like uh, developers are like, oh, we're going to make an open world game. And, you know, there have been any number of, there are any number of ways to do that. But it, it is, the answer is not necessarily, well, give a player a horse. Yeah, exactly. Do you like this horse? It's yours. It's, what am I going to do with them? Go up round. I mean, your horse fixation aside, like you're completely bang on. And I think that's the thing is that <laughs> open world games, the, the majesty of what it can be like to explore a Big world. Yes. I think so many of the systems that we've settled on as being like right well, not to, are not. Not to return to a game that I, I have more experience with than you, but The Long Dark is funny because you, I, and I do recommend people play it, it is just a fabulous, weird survival game uh, that's still in early access, I think. So give it a prod. Uh, but the, and lovely people work on it, uh, but <laughs> that is neither here nor there. The point is that you don't have a horse, you don't have vistas necessarily, you just have like, very small distances you cover. The point is that it's so unbelievably cold and dangerous with like, with a wolf somewhere that uh, that your exploration, your journey is like you're in this hut that you found and you've chosen that shitty cabin to be your home and you've built a fire and you go fishing sometimes. And every day when you go fishing, you look on the other side of a frozen lake and you're like, I could make it over there maybe. But it would be dark by the but time I got there. there. <laughs> yeah, but you think, okay, would it be dark? Could I find my way back in the dark? And so like exploration can be very minuscule. It can be very human and small. It's just about the circumstances in which you do that exploration. You know, for you climb, for you or me in real life, climbing a hill feels exciting because we don't do that. And and, and it still feels like an achievement. Anyway. Yeah. It's even, I mean, it's funny how like there are, and I, I'd say to anyone listening, like at the moment, everyone's saying uh, that Breath of the Wild is revolutionary. It isn't really. It just actually it implements game systems that are already knocking around that actually just make more sense to this sort of game design in terms of making it feel like what it could do. Um, but there's also no hurry. It's not a game, I imagine, which is going to go stale or um, age very quickly. It's the sort of game you could probably play in a couple of years' time and it'll still be wonderful. You know what I'm doing this weekend? What are you doing? I'm going to buy Super Mario Galaxy 1 and 2, which I never played. Yeah. I'm going to pop them in my Wii U. I'm just really hoping they release them on the Switch because they'd be lovely on that. So I'm sure they will. I mean, actually, I don't know. Nintendo can sometimes be silly about money. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just the tiny things. You swim in a river. It will, yeah, like rivers have currents. <laughs> okay. Like temperatures matter. And there's, there's so many ways you can solve everything. You're like, I'm too cold. Well, there's like four or five different things you can do about that. What are you going to do? Like, And it's it's full of these little moments where you just go, oh, I'm in a pickle. And then you go, <laughs> what if I do this? And it works. And you feel like genius. And again, like everyone will have different experiences. Um, and I'm just so joyful about just just relaxing and enjoying this world and just exploring and going on tiny micro adventures. I feel like a small child again. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like as much as I am enjoying Horizon Zero Dawn, I'm doing it as a stressful, like like I say, I'm playing it very hard. It seems completely the opposite of the thing you're playing. I, Matthew, I think games might be okay. I think games are good. I think that's a, a thing. Let's talk about... An old game. An old game. Uh, now it's time for our feature on Dark Souls. Where we go and look at an old game. Do the jingle. Don't step on my child. This time on Don't Step on My Child, 
Hunt. Uh, we have a, a real gem from my past, Gunstar Heroes. And my past as well. Everyone's past. I mean, as we said on the video that we recorded, you can watch on YouTube. If not now, then soon. Um, basically, I got really lucky as a child. I just went into WH Smith's and I, I liked the look of the box. And so I bought it and I actually got very lucky a number of times as like a six or seven year old or maybe yeah, nine. If you went to WH Smith's now, what's, you, you couldn't get that lucky, could you? No. What I could, mean, what's the best thing you could buy now? Lined A4 pads. I would say a smutty magazine. Last time I went into WH Smith's, I saw a magazine about steam trains uh, that had been left on the same shelf as um, a Make Your Own Will set, <laughs> which I felt was the perfect Venn diagram of WH Smith's <laughs> audiences. <laughs> wow. For those of you who don't live in England, WH Smith's is kind of a weird stationery shop that's dying. Anyway, um, <laughs> Gunstar Heroes. That was efficient. Fantastic co-op adventure shooty thing. Yes, a beautiful two-player game. A sort of a run-and-gun platformer. Controls will be... Re- it. It, it, it seems like Metal Slug initially in that you run and gun, but then you realise that you... That run and every, gun and karate. Well, yeah, flying kicks. Run, gun and karate. Uh, uh, sliding kicks. You can throw things. It Basically, it's, a, it's effectively a two-button game if you discount the switchy weapon button, which, frankly, you just press by accident and doesn't need to exist. <laughs> yeah. It's a two-button game, and what the amount it does with two buttons is, is pretty phenomenal. Um, it's also just relentlessly inventive in terms of enemy design, bosses, uh, level design... Um, game design. We're going to get to all that, <laughs> I know what you're wondering. What am I wondering? You're wondering what the plot of Gunstar Heroes is. Of course is. I'm wondering that, but I'm not because I know what it is. But why don't you inform me? You people? know what, Matt? I'm on Wikipedia now and I don't think you do. Um, the game's backstory concerns an evil organization that created an extremely powerful robot called... Golden Silver. Oh, he's good. Ah! For use as a weapon to destroy civilization from... What do you mean? From space? The moon. Yeah, it's close. Through the efforts of... This is the heroes. Uh, the Gunstar heroes? The Gunstar family. Did you know they were brothers? <laughs> didn't know they were brothers. Twin brothers, Red and... Does that mean it's their dad? The uh, old guy is their dad. Let's find out. Twin brothers, Red and Blue, sister Yellow, and older brother Green. Yes, yeah, see? Gold and silver is defeated and the four gems that served as its power source were taken and hidden throughout the Earth. The Gunstars, exhausted, seal themselves in stasis pods on the moon while civilization rebuilds itself. So yeah, that's the... Oh, no, sorry. There's a... There's a yeah, that's not a story. More. As time passes, Golden Silver begins to be seen as a god that will lead righteous people to paradise. General Grey, leader of a dictatorship known as the Empire, sends an expedition to the moon in order to excavate the four gems and awaken Golden Silver. So that he can... Matt, I'm about 15% of the way through. My god. Did you know... But the, the plot when you actually play the video game... Is, I didn't know that Green was your brother. ...is two sentences. Like, when yeah. you start the game, it's like, there's a robot. But, I mean, I still got a lot of it. I got that basically you had to go and get the emeralds from these four people and they, they wanted the emeralds for something bad and then they take the emeralds back and then you have to go to space and then you... I started reading this to take the piss of like, oh, game plots are bad, but I've kind of got a grudging respect for Gunstar Heroes now because when you play, you go from turning on that game to shooting things in a few seconds and then it's just a wild ride where the story... And it story- does have an evocative plot. I swear, right? It yes. has, at the start, like, you're chasing Green, who's, like, clearly your buddy, but is now bad. And then 
you have the four people who have to kill to get the emeralds. One of them is green, and he's clearly, because he, he looks like you, he looks like a Gunstar hero. You're like, he's clearly used to be a Gunstar hero, and he isn't anymore. You don't know why, and I don't want to read that Wikipedia, because I always like having the mystery in my head. I feel like Why do they have to do that? We've drunk the Kool-Aid. This why? is one of the dumbest games of all time, and, and then, but we're then it, talking about it like it's He redeems himself, Tolstoy. though. I'm pretty sure green, towards the end of the game, has a moment where he... Well, that completes his narrative arc, He redeems arc, himself, completes it? his narrative arc. And gold and silver... What a bastard. He's really hard. He's like a horrible robot man. Okay. I. <laughs> what have I, you done, Quinns? What have you done? I feel like we're losing both the people listening to this and me. Right, okay. Uh, so, but this is this game is genuinely brilliant. It yeah. is... We While playing the video, I started rambling about how it actually weirdly reminded me of Halo, of all things. Yeah, that, was, that was odd. <laughs> no, here's what we do. You have... An amount of space on screen, and in in Metal Slug or other sh- or like Metroid, that's just a shooting gallery, right? Mm-hmm. In Gunstar Heroes, it's more like the geography of the space, like a Halo level, because you have guns, you have the ability to throw enemies, you have the ability to jump or throw your co-op partner or hang on the edge of anything. Yes, which means that it's it it's about deciding which of your tools to. Oh, sorry, you can also jump, kick, you can also slide. So it's almost like the uh, the flowchart of what you do in any given moment is tremendously exciting, and the screen is constantly in flux. Yeah, and it's also be- constantly full of explosions. Yes. It's just like you, you, you're aware of what's going on, but everything is always exploding. And the levels are really short, but you're right, because it means that basically it's just like, it's almost like a film strip of scenarios of being like, ah, shooting things, ah, shooting and jumping things with one platform, two platforms. Now you're going up a pyramid. There's a boss at the top of the pyramid. Now you're sliding down a it pyramid. Is, I think the reason that it has so much love is like, it is, this is a, a weird lesson to take away from this as anyone who's interested in game design. It is easily 25% of the length of other Genesis platformers. Yeah. If that. Like it is breathtakingly short. And so full of fun stuff. And it just says... I think finishing it would probably take about two hours. You reckon? Yeah. Because, I mean, we we just played two levels. We were dying about though. Half an hour. Yeah, no, but I mean, if even if you get through perfectly, you're probably still looking at an hour and a half, maybe two hours. I don't know. I feel like you could finish some of the levels in like Because I, th- I felt towards the end, there were some points where it did drag. Like when you go to space... There's like some bits where you're like, I think the space level where you're flying okay, around fine. spaceships. But compared to like, like what's on. in my head, Sonic or Vector. Man. Oh yeah, I mean that Sonic just, I mean that got boring like after the second level, I think. Yeah, but it's just long. But this is my point. What if Sonic packed, I mean, Sonic didn't have any ideas. But like, uh, what if Mario had packed all of the ideas in a full Mario game into half the time? Yeah, like Super Mario World, but it's over in an hour and a half. Yeah. And your mind is blown. <laughs> no, but that's the comparison that we've got here. Yeah, no, you're right. And it's funny in the fact that actually, even though despite that, it's very short, but it's packed full of details. And it's funny how it took me and my brother a long time to be able to competently complete it. But there's so many tiny details, some visual, some audio, some like just little tiny jokes, like that tiny soldier man that you had a hell of a time trying to beat in the video oh, we people recorded. people should definitely watch But when he dies, movie. he dies in this like immensely over-the-top tiny explosion that just goes on forever. <laughs> no, it has a sense of humour. It's smart, but it's the uh, it's one of those uh, wonderfully... I'm trying to think of like... Uh, I don't want to say Grasshopper Studios did it, but uh, Japan often comes out with these games that... In the West, I feel, we either make games that are dumb or are very sort of worthy and often artistic. That's a lot of what you get out of our indie scene, but it's the the, the indie designers that I like the most are the ones that are simultaneously very smart and uh, funny. And dumb. And funny yeah. and self-aware, uh, because that's just my jam, I guess. But it's, it's crazy to go back to an era where AAA could do that. Like even like Far Cry Blood Dragon, you know, of a game that's trying to be uh, 80s and neon and very like, ah, oh, we're making fun of uh, era. 
still doesn't feel as madcap and in control and clever as Gunstar Heroes. No, no. Uh, I'm just looking to see if it had an arcade release because that's the only way I can think that it would uh, reasonably explain its... Uh, explain it. Yeah, it was a very odd mix of designs. No, it was on the Sega Genesis and then ported onto the Game Gear. So like it... Yeah, Christ. But So it was that arcade structure of you're going to do this again and die and you'll just try again from the beginning but lent to home consoles, which I guess maybe was more common than I... And remember. it No, but it, it did more than that, though. I think what was really interesting and crucial about it, it was Gunstar was just quite hard, especially if you play on your own, actually. It's a lot easier with two players because you can throw each other in stuff and it does so much damage. <laughs> uh, which is, or throw each other off ledges by Yeah, accident. so obviously, yeah, there's problems there. It's actually but, the opposite of Sonic the Hedgehog if someone plays Tails and can carry Sonic. It's like you, your friend can throw you down a waterfall. By <laughs> but the four levels you start with before the game becomes linear and has the kind of finale sequence, uh, which is very boss heavy and mad, um, you have these four levels. They're all very different. Like one of them is basically vertically jumping up all the time. One of them is horizontally moving all the time in a mind shoot. One of them, as we played in the... the it's snakes think, and ladders. Snakes and ladders. Yeah, with bosses. Um, so it means that you've got the double thing of A, with that snakes and ladders dice palace, every time you play that, it's slightly different. And sometimes you're praying for like an easy run through. You're like, oh, come on, just just miss the hard bosses. And sometimes you do. Sometimes you're like, no curry and rice, no problems. But also you get to choose which order you want to do those levels in. Well, that's, the, that's why it reminds me of Mega Man. Yeah, because you have that argument about what the easiest route is. Obviously, you start with pink. No, that's really easy. First but do level you get a benefit level. for defeating a boss? Yeah, you get 10 more health. Oh, okay. So each, it, so you get more health each time. Um, also, though, I think it was like there were different difficulties. I remember like there was the, the green boss had like six different versions. If you did it early or something or late, I can't remember. Basically, there were some subtle variances in some regards, I think, in terms of the order of how you played them. But also it meant that like, it was that repeat, repeat, because the latter half of the game got really hard. So you die, game over, and you eventually start again. But each time you started again afresh, because, you know, Genesis didn't have save games. You just play it until you decided you were done and then switch it off. And then next Saturday morning, switch it on again and try again. <laughs> but it meant you, even when you started to ma- get that mastery, it then meant you can mix it up. You're like, hey, let's do the hardest level first. The final thing I'll say about Gunstar Heroes is it is the proud holder, or like one of several joint holders of like, studios that were actually able to get something mad funky out of the Genesis chip, the sound yeah, chip. Yeah, the music because in that game. The Genesis is responsible for like some of the worst crimes against video game music. Like, I think it was Marble Madness on the Genesis. If you all listen to the Genesis Marble Madness soundtrack that I'll put on to you pers- privately after this podcast oh, is over, God. is one of the most, like it It sounds like food poisoning. It's, it's the most disgustingly unpleasant thing, but in the hands of the right composer, the Genesis sound chip was, it just sounded like every instrument was slap bass. And it's, uh, oh, I mean, it's just an unbelievable soundtrack. And as I said, I really do think it was the thing that got me into discordant music. It's why I've ended up having such a strange taste in music. Have you played Thumper yet? I haven't. I need to. It's on my list. It it's, really is. Yeah. Or possibly worth waiting until you get a VR headset. Yeah, possibly. But um, yeah, it's that kind of, the music, especially in the mind level, where it's just like, just uh, yeah, I, I kind of blew my mind as a kid. I remember it being blew quite, your mind. I being quite young and being like, "This doesn't make sense because this music is not like nice to listen to," and yet it is. I kind of I remember being confused by it. It's, by like, is it that challenging? I feel like it's sort of, uh, sort of like yeah, uh, 
It's, it's weird hypnotic loop to it. It's yeah, it's pretty cool. Okay. Pretty cool. Okay. Mega um, Man also had some pretty Mega Man X had some pretty great tunes, but that was later. Why don't you and Mega Man get married? Maybe I'll make you play Mega Man X. You and Mega Man, your horses coming over here. You're fed like, up with horses. I like Mega Man. I don't like the Mega Man. What's so complicated about that? <laughs> if people do have, it's genuinely really tickled me. I don't know. <laughs> Oh God! Now it's up to me. Now for the next yeah. half, so I was like, next time. I wonder if I should shoot. You've thrown me. I've had a good time playing something good, but I would probably have even more of a good time putting something terrible in front. Of yeah, me. I mean, I just I, I I grabbed for something, and it had to be Gunstar Heroes at some point. You know why this is the best feature? Because it turns out there's a lot of games in the past. Like as much as we could talk about, you know, new games. We have like 16 years of good games. And I still this. cannot believe, playing Gunstar Heroes, that no other game has had a co-op game where you take it in turns to throw a dice and then you do a little challenge on your own. That's Mario Party, isn't it? Or yeah, do you but, always do all But the, the fact that it's like a cooperative thing, where in that one, you're trying to reserve this health between you because you want to get to the boss with as much health as possible. Yeah. So it means that you're trying to collectively, because you share health, by every time you come back to life, you split your health bar down the middle. It means you have a situation where you're doing challenges on your own with the other player simultaneously rooting for you and laughing and, laughing <laughs> and getting frustrated when you're like losing 60 health because it's like yours. Yeah. And I just think it's just a fascinating dynamic that is still so fun and that we've had all of these years and nobody's done that. I'm well, like, why? You know, I'm always in favor of uh, game developers ripping games off. Like rip they, off, everyone rip off Gunstar Heroes. Everyone rip off any Can old game. There's a lot of good ideas in the past. It is, it is. So we've got no five questions with the dev this time. I uh, didn't get any back in time, but we're going to have some, obviously, next time. We've got some very, very cool people in the pipeline. Very excited about hearing what they have to say on some stuff. Um, so we're going to jump in to some questions. Do we do, have a jingle? Do this? a jingle. Yeah, do a jingle. Jingle. Question time. Hello there. Why don't you relax? Take off those shoes. It's time for a question from you. Okay, we've got a question from non-caveman Dan, who is presumably not a caveman. It says, given that a lot of people who grew up with computer games are now at the stage where they have children of their own, is there a company or selection of games that is truly E for everyone, adults and children, and if there isn't, then what would make the best all-age accessible game? Basically, have computer games got their version of Pixar yet? Wait, sure, this is... Is this a trick question? Surely this I is mean, Nintendo. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's basically Nintendo, isn't it? Or, alternative, lots of people point out the Lego games. Yeah, which I was, are, that's, that was exactly what I was going to... I was going to... It was me always taking, was gonna, you're taking... Always taking things out of your mouth, aren't I? It's better than the other way around, I suppose. Anyway... The other thing is, what I love about the people who make Lego games, I love that they just keep making games for the same ooh, same group, not the same audience. No, I've said this wrong. I, most You, you devs, do put lots of things in my mouth, though. I do. I mean, I mean, food, like, tea, food tea, coffees, coffee, other drinks, biscuits, bananas sometimes. But I love that Lego guys, they just make Lego games, right? And they don't do that thing that many devs do of being like, hey, we've got these millions of kids who love our games. Let's keep making games for the same audiences. They just kind of keep making games that are specifically for parents playing with young children. Yeah. Or like adults like them as well. But mainly it's like, that's their thing. Nintendo's been doing some of that recently, haven't they? They've been uh, putting uh, like, you can be a shitty toad running around with Mario. You can be a shitty toad. Or like aspirational stuff. Hey kid, you can be a shitty toad. No, it's dad's a shitty toad. Is he? Uh, He can be. (laughs) With the new Mario out today. 
I should really, I should really break my Wii U more. That, that's a shitty toad yeah. out on Wii U now. <laughs> oh, Toad's Treasure Track. I need to play that as well. I need to get out my, I need to dust off my Wii U. I literally only have. I want to play it. Nintendo. Your dad's a shitty toad. Coming soon. Um, yeah, no, it's funny though. But in in weird ways though, like I find it fascinating that all of the adverts for the for the Nintendo Switch seem to show children playing it, but they're clearly aiming at people like me. And it's funny with a new Zelda game. It's quite complicated. I had a, a a boy who I think was eight years old trying to play on it, and he really couldn't. He kept dying. He died and died and died and died. Why? Does he just? Is he like a kid who wanted to play on your console because his parents wouldn't let him? Uh, I I just had it in my bag when I was round somebody's house for dinner, and Emma was my wife was like, "Oh, have you got your thing?" And I was like, "Yeah, I have." And then as soon as it was out of the bag that I had a new Nintendo console, oh. this kid was like, "Can I have a go?" Oh no! But then his pa- then you have to look at his parents. No, he- yeah, I had to get permission from his parents, and they were like, oh, "That's fine." And I was like, "Okay." And then he was playing on my Zelda file, and it was really funny because it meant like he just like there was a point where he was like, "How do we get to the man?" And I'm like, I don't know, because you skipped through the dialogue. <laughs> and then it got to a bit where I was like, okay, I'll help you get here. But when you get here, you need to tell me. And then he did. And it was like a lot. It was the first cutscene exposition that you get about half an hour into the game. And he was like, I'm bored. How do we skip this? I'm like, you can't, because I want to watch it. <laughs> and this is my safe Not mechanically. And I was being really relaxed, being like, you know, I'm just going to let this kid like play this while I half watch it. And he's just have like chunks of the game spoil for me but I'm like yeah fine he was having fun but it was too hard for him and it's funny it's it's definitely a game for like teenagers or grown ups it's not simple so I think that yeah Nintendo maybe sometimes it's like kids and adults but they're definitely branching out a bit um anyway I scrolled past the next question because it was too complicated okay I, fine I to go and I would love to answer it because it's a great question uh Matt stall for time while I lean away from the microphone <laughs> well I think I would say actually about um the guy saying at the start, you know, about how a lot of people playing games are now growing up and playing kids with themselves. Uh, we're quite bad for it on Dark Souls at the moment, as we've as we've just said. I've just done a tremendous amount of swearing, um, but uh, we are trying You'll to get better. All of that, though, right? We are trying to get better at, uh, at bleeping out in uh, the videos, and uh, may try and move on to the podcast. At oh, some point. I didn't. Oh, I wouldn't have sworn if I knew you wouldn't. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I haven't. I haven't the podcasts are. Oh, I don't know. I'd, li- I'd like to, but we'll work it out. It's, it's that was uh, a peek behind the curtain. There. I see. I know, right? That's how but- I really talk to Matt off camera. It's just with fear. <laughs> uh, Kirsten Findlay uh, has a question, and this is I, this is relevant for me. I don't have a lot of times for games at the moment. What are some excellent games that are also short? Uh, to which I will tease the next video I'm doing. I would say um, Stories Untold is a really lovely and very, very short uh, game. Uh, and do you have something to say? You're biting your lip in a weird way. I think I just had too much caffeine. It's fine. Carry on. You only had one coffee. I've had one before you arrived. Whoa! You universe, tell- universe exists outside of you, Quinns. I'm not the centre of a black hole. What are some good games that are really short? I would say... I played one recently. You um, can play some Kitty Horror Show games if you like. If you Google Kitty Horror Show and like incredibly spooky lo-fi stuff. Yeah, if you want to be scared. Definitely play Anatomy. If you just want to have like a really gentle time with something which is interesting and have a PC and you want to play a game which is not amazing but is kind of sweet and does some really unexpected and interesting things that'll make you go... Oh my god, that's so cool. Then I definitely recommend a game called One Shot, which is one word, one shot. As in you've got one shot, do not miss your chance. Oh, play. that's a super short. It's really short, but um, it had some bits in it that I was like, that's so cool. If you want uh, something very short on your phone, I could also recommend that you can play going to A to B for as long as you want. Reigns, I think is very good. Uh, that is R-E-I-G-N-S. Lovely little uh, iPhone and I think Android game about... Yeah, it's on Android. 
being a being king. a king. It's very funny. Um, it is I, very I've, funny. I've enjoyed that a lot. Some of the dialogue in that is very funny. Um, but yeah, just briefly go back to what I said before as well. Um, we are starting to beep out stuff in videos. If you're watching the videos and you're going, why are they beeping? Why are they beeping out swear words? Um, it's not because we believe in censorship or anything like that, or even that we're um, you know, making kids videos for kids. It's more as somebody's pointed out. Lots of people who follow our work now are people who are old enough to have their own kids, and they might want to watch the videos with their kids in the room, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's so, yeah, it's it's both, right? It is that, but then for me, it's that um, beeping is funnier than swearing. That's also true. Like Nine if you've got a punchline that is swearing or a conversation that's funny and involves swearing, beeping is just funnier. Yeah, but I mean, so for I, me, it's good for the kids. It's good for the quins. It's good for kids. That's it's good for also going to be our new motto. That's going to be on the t-shirts. Um, but it's just a case of being polite to to young parents who lots and lot increasingly people our age bobbing out babbers. Anyway, I beg your pardon, bobbing out babbers. <laughs> Is that what you do when you give me a banana? Mm, no, that's bobbing out a banana. <laughs> Bob a little banana in the mouth. Bobbing uh, out babbers is uh, when you pop out a baby. Oh, okay. It's just slang. Cool slang. Because I am definitely down with the kids. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel. <laughs> Our YouTube channel, which is cool HTTP colon <laughs> forward, forward slash forward slash www dot you as in you the person tube, tube as in a, a piece of tube. A tube modeled compressor yes in a TV dot com, which stands for community of men internet internet stop. If you search for Cool Ghosts on YouTube, you see all the fun video content that Matt and I do. I mean, for love of God, I hope people are aware we make videos. <laughs> well, no, we found out uh, from uh, people that we do a, a sister podcast as part of Shut Up and Sit Down about running the site and about board games. And um, that's the most mysterious thing in the world. I, I still have people coming up and to me and going, don't realize hey, it's a are website you from the Shut Up and Sit Down videos. podcast? And I'm like, yeah. But then I still meet people who just think it's a podcast. And I'm like, how are you not aware that we make videos? If you've not. Like, the videos are the best bit, I feel. Podcasts are nice, but if, come on. If you are at all interested in the board game renaissance that we are currently going through, and we are, the board games are phenomenal. Great new ones come out every week. They are really very, very, very good. And we do very, very, some of our best work has been video reviews of board games. Yes. Uh, and that is to be found on shutupandsitdown.com. Give it a visit. You might like it. If you don't, if you've never played a board game, don't think it's not for you. It is, in fact, the website for you because that whole website is targeted at people who don't know what these things are. Exactly. And it's bloody good. There, I said it, all right? Whoa. It's better than horses. Have we agreed? Oh, Shut Up and Sit Down is better than horses. No, Shut Up and Sit Down is better than <laughs> video game horses because real life horses are pretty good. Yeah, fair. That's Cormac, fair. Cormac McCarthy wrote, In a horse's eye, you can see the world entire. He also wrote a book called The Road. So, yeah, he did a lot of writing, that guy. <laughs> This was a very literary. I enjoyed the, I, that literary ball that bounced back and Bit forth. Of back and forth. I'm an expert at words too. Turns yeah, out. yeah, I'm impressed. Uh, thank you very much for listening to the Darth Souls podcast, everybody. We will be back in a couple of weeks with episode 91. Bye. Bye. Bye.